0: Well, two weeks ago, we began talking about prayer, and that's that's a good thing to talk about to begin the year in 2019, and uh, we're also doing a fast right now, and hopefully you're able to uh, do that, and two weeks ago, we asked the question, why do so many Christians struggle to have consistent prayer time with God, and we suggested that maybe beliefs produce behavior, and... I believe that is true. Beliefs produce behavior because what you practice is the result of your philosophy. Private philosophy produces public performance. What you commit to and put into practice will produce results in your life. Then we said if our beliefs aren't producing the behavior that we'd like, then we have to look at the heart. And so we said your heart directs your behavior. So your beliefs direct your behavior and your heart directs your behavior. David Tripp said this. He said, people and situations don't make us say what we say, though we tend to blame them. I tell you what, ever since I read this statement from him and ever since I started looking at the notes, I find myself going, wait a minute, because I am blaming everybody. I can't believe how much, I didn't even realize how much My little irritations or impatience or getting angry or getting upset or whatever it may be. How much I'm blaming somebody else for me getting upset. Now, it doesn't mean that all these people around me that they're doing right. It's just that it doesn't matter. I still shouldn't react that way. I'm not supposed to be reactionary. I'm supposed to act on the word of God. I don't react to situations. I act. If I react, I will be in unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, which will keep on going down the list and creating me a critical spirit. And I will begin to criticize those around me. But if I act on the word of God and, and I act on every situation that comes and I say, wait a minute, and I apply the word of God to it, I will immediately, I will forgive. I will begin to walk in love. I will have peace, joy, and I will walk around with an understanding spirit. Amen? So I don't want to to have a critical spirit. I want to have an understanding spirit. And the only way to do that is for me to act on situations, not to react. I don't react to somebody else, what they're doing that I don't like. I act on it. Amen? And I found myself most of the week you know, correcting my reactions. You know, and go, well, wait a minute. And let me say, I've failed many times. You can ask my wife. She'll tell you. How many times through the week do we fail to act on what the Word says and we react to what we're hearing or seeing around us? Or reacting to what someone says to us? Rather than having joy all the time. Rather than having patience, let it, let it have its perfect work, as the scripture says. That's not always easy, especially when somebody's irritating you. Amen? Amen. Then we said, whatever rules our hearts will control our behavior. Because your heart will direct your behavior, so whatever rules it. I want the Lord to be on the throne of my heart. So that he is... Ruling my heart and that directs my behavior. So now I'm acting and I'm not reacting. Because see, the enemy wants you to react. See how they did that? See how they did this? See how they said that? See how they looked at you with that stink eye? You know, whatever it is, the, you know, he doesn't want you doing that. And your own flesh doesn't like that either. When someone's looking at you cross-eyed or whatever it may be. They're not looking at you right. So today, I want to talk and go even further about prayer, and I want to talk about the importance of being vigilant in prayer. Before we do, let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that is in this place. You have already been speaking to us. I thank you for continuing to enlighten us and speak to us. Your word this morning, Lord, I thank you that all distractions are gone. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If we want the Lord to rule in our hearts, we've got to be vigilant in prayer. We have to be vigilant. I want to look at the garden, uh, the prayer in the garden. Jesus, the last supper, they had, and the disciples, they had had the, uh, the last supper. And then uh, they all, they left that place. And Jesus, in verse 36, says, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. But he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and it began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, "'My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. "'Stay here and watch with me.'" So he's saying, stay here and watch with me to to Peter, James, and John. Okay? In verse 39, he went a little further, fell on his face, and prayed, saying, "'Oh, my Father, if it is possible, "'let this cup pass from me. "'Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will.'" Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And said to Peter, what? You ever heard that? Now, we don't know how Jesus said it. I don't even know the translation or how, you know, how it goes. But I like to think he came around the corner and was like, what? You know, or something. That's, uh, you read scripture and you animate it in your mind, don't you? All right, I got some yeses. All right, I'm not the only one. Okay. Makes it better. All right. Could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now it goes on and the disciples ended up sleeping again. And I mean, you know, he comes back. So, but for the sake of time, we won't read all of it. The main point here is that the disciples' job was to watch, but they couldn't do it. And then Jesus gave them the key to their job in verse 41 which was, which was to pray. See, that's the first thing he said. He said, watch here, watch. And then he came, when he came back, they couldn't do it, and then he gave them the key and said, watch and pray, and they still couldn't do it. It's prayer that will keep you doing what you're supposed to do. One more time, it's prayer that keeps you doing what you're supposed to do. Now, I'm not talking in regards to sin. That's part of it and all of that. I'm not talking about, oh, it keeps you doing and it's on the straight and narrow, bless God. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what is it that you're supposed to be doing at any given moment in time? Prayer will keep you doing that thing. What is it that God's placed in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit to do? Jesus gave them a job. And this word watch, it means to be vigilant, to be vigilant. And they failed at their job to watch and pray, to be vigilant. Why? Because they gave in to their flesh. How many could say, you know, that you know and you understand, I'm my own worst enemy. Come on. It's the truth. Look, we love to blame everybody else, and we especially love to blame that guy who we picture as with the pitchfork and the horns and that goatee thing with the little pointy thing sticking down that our culture has said that's what he looks like and he's red. Probably got little fangs. We like to blame the devil. But most of the time, we're our own worst enemy. What did Christ say? what did he say here? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation, the spirit indeed is one, but the flesh is weak. So you've got to learn to let your spirit have mastery over your flesh. That's not easy. I know. I know. Look at this statement here. We've got to learn to have good performance, not just good intentions. We've got to learn to have good performance, not just good intentions. You know what they say about intentions. And we've all heard the popular one. But there's others. And, and you know, and the thing is about intentions, we, and we'll do this, we'll say, well, I was going to do that, or I'm going to get that, or I'm going to do that later. I, I, I intended to do that. I mean, we've got all these things that we say and all these great, wonderful, good intentions, But we end up saying, well, I'm going to get to it later. And here's the thing. Good intentions alone has never changed anything. Amen? Amen. That's the truth. I want you to have a good intention. It's better than a bad one. I heard people I looked at, I was looking at different quotes on intentions, you know. This week and what different people said and sometimes when I find a good one while well, put it on the screen I couldn't find too many good ones. So guess what we're not putting one up on the screen I mean, but there were some people out there talking about how in, intentions were just like evil I mean, it just intentions are bad Look, you need intention just to get started But see you need more than just intention. And that's where some of these people, these real smart people are getting it wrong and talking about how awful intention. No, 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 no. You need to intend to do something. You just got to follow up with it. How do you do that? What's the best way? When God gives you something, God puts in your spirit or you know what's in the word and you're intending to do it. How, what's the best way? What's the, uh, how, how do you complete that? Jesus said, pray. He said, pray. That's how you do it your job. That's how you do what you're supposed to do. That's how you are to be that child of God that you're supposed to be. You know this. uh, Be all that you can be. Get an edge on life. Come on. You don't know. uh, uh, Well, to be all you can be for God, you've got to Pray. 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 This is a matter of spiritual maturity. If you think about when Jesus, what he was saying here, the disciples, they just weren't there yet. Think about it. They've been in this system, this temple model. Oh, we don't have time to get into all that, but they've been under the priest, they've been under the law, they've been under the thumb of all, all that legal, all their lives just steeped in it. And here comes Jesus to the scene and he is just trying to undo all that mess. And he's coming in and he's saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Love your neighbor.
1: Love your neighbor.
0: Oh, no, no, you don't understand. Forgive seven times. seven. I mean, he's, he's just, everything that they thought they knew, they didn't know. And he just brought it all to a different level. And the disciples, they're still trying to wrap their minds around everything and even wrap their minds around who they're sitting with here at this last supper. They think they know, but do they really? They're expecting Jesus, man, we're going to at some point, man, we're going to break out the weapons and the swords and the spears and we're going to gather everybody and we're going to kick butt and take names later. That's what they're thinking, but no, that was their idea of what they, how it was going to be, and we're going to have the, the kingdom, and Jesus was talking about the kingdom, but they didn't really understand and fully get the kingdom of God at this point. They weren't spiritually mature. That's why they gave into their flesh and went to sleep. They weren't there yet, they hadn't got the axe yet. Paul tells us when speaking to the Corinthians that they were fleshly or carnal. Carnal is when you base your life on your works. That's what the disciples, that's all they knew. That's all the people knew was by your works, what do I have to do to be saved? That's why Jesus was asked that question so many times. What do you have to do to be saved? What do you have to do to be saved? But, and when you live your life based on works or your accomplishments, instead of living your life based on who you are, that's when you will get into your flesh and you will go carnal you'll give up because it's too hard. I know I've been there. Okay, I'm going to try to be as good as I can and I'm going to follow this rule, this rule, this rule and this rule and you will end up failing and giving into your fresh because you'll give up it's just too hard. I'll just have to hope the grace of God covers me. No, no, no. We got to walk in who we are and when we do and we walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and who he's called us to be, we won't have a problem with all the list. We won't need a list of the do's and don'ts. We'll know. Amen? I'm not preaching to just myself this morning. Look at this statement. Carnal Christians are dominated by the desires of the flesh due to the failure of living life based on works. And see, understand, when you get to the flesh, when you get to that point, when you're living life based on works and you get into the flesh, then, then, the flesh never wants to pray. How many can just say, you know, oh yeah, yeah." there's no way. The flesh does not want to pray. It wants to watch TV, play golf, go hunting, you know, go fishing, get drunk, partake in forbidden sexual activity, so on, whatever it is. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Flesh wants to do what it wants to do. That's why it's so important to walk in the robe of righteousness that God has given you. Mature Christians understand who they are and live out the principles that are laid out in the Word of God. They understand the responsibilities given to them by their father. So, every Christian needs to grow up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, it says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Maturity is the acceptance of responsibility. In church, we have a responsibility to pray. God's word commands us to pray, to be in His Word, to read His Word, so that we know, we know the truth that is there, and we can walk in it. Amen. Scripture says to seek first the kingdom, not pleasures, not my personal kingdom, the kingdom of God. Want we'll to look at verse th- First Thessalonians? Here's how you do that. Here's how you seek the kingdom. You know we say we say that. Well, let's turn this off screen just for a minute. Let's black that out just for a minute. So you've heard this verse many times. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's Matthew 6, 33. Oh man, I knew that when I was little. So the first thing I I got to seek the kingdom of God first above all. Look in church and when you do that, Oh, things go well. Things get added. The blessings come. Things get a lot easier. I'm going to show you this morning, these verses right here, here's how you seek the kingdom. Let's put this up. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All three of these verses go together. Theologians will tell you that this is one statement. You got some versions that put periods and separate it, but this all goes together. <clears throat> so prayer, what this says to me when I read this whole statement is that prayer should be my life. <laughs> So in other words, my whole life on a day-to-day basis, I should have an attitude of prayer every day, all day. You say, well, TJ, what? Oh my goodness, you mean I can't do this? No, 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 no. Understand, every day this week, it was like I was just practicing and I was just like, Lord, I'm going to be in prayer and have this attitude of prayer every day. All day long, at church this week, I was playing a video game with Aaron and I started thinking about God, playing a video game. I mean, I couldn't believe it, because of how much earlier, before I picked up the controller, that I, I was just thinking about the Lord. My life was different this week than it was the week before. I was doing some things different based on my studies. Now, I didn't get to, I didn't get to preach last Sunday. So I studied this the week before, and then I put it into practice this past week. And I'm going to tell you, it works. It does. I began to hear the Lord's voice more than I ever have, or in a long time. Let's put it that way, not I ever have, but in a long time. I began to feel the power, the anointing of God more, just praying under my breath at different times, first thing in the morning, getting up, began to pray in the Spirit, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, just whatever. And I just began to do that and develop this habit of prayer. This was something the disciples in the garden, they didn't have yet. They hadn't matured to this point yet. Now, let's break this down. Rejoice always. Not only rejoicing in happy things, I can rejoice always because my joy isn't based on my circumstances, but in God. Circumstances change. My God never changes. So it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm going to rejoice anyways. That's what you call a sacrifice of praise. I'm going to rejoice in whatever's going on because God's still on the throne. That hasn't changed and it's not going to change. My God is faithful no matter what. Amen. It's not too warm in here. You didn't eat too much. You're not kind of falling asleep right now. Nothing like that. I mean, you're good, right? This morning. Amen every day, all day. It doesn't matter because my God doesn't change. Charles Spurgeon, he said this on this verse. He said, I am bound to mention among the curiosities of the churches that I have known many deeply spiritual Christian people who have been afraid to rejoice. Some take such a view of religion that it is to them a sacred duty to be gloomy, Turn this book over and see if there be any precept that the Lord has given you in which he has said, groan in the Lord always. And again, I say groan. You may groan if you like. You have Christian liberty for that. But at the same time, do believe that you have the larger liberty to rejoice for so it is put before you. That's good. That's good. And there are many. And there are many who feel like They have this like religious attitude, pious attitude, whatever you want to call it. They're walking around like we gotta be like this. It's just all stuffy, whatever it is. I I just can't do it. My God is bigger than all of that. I have to rejoice always. Now I know some of you might be thinking, "What what What about this next verse? I don't get it. Pray without ceasing. We're to pray continually. Look, we can't bow our heads, close our eyes, fold our hands. Lord in Jesus name, Lord, I think. And do that just all day every second of the day. That's not what he's talking about. Those are customs of prayer, not prayer itself. Me folding my hands, I tell I tell Pete, my kids, you know, go, "Let's fold our hands and pray." That is a custom of prayer. Nothing wrong with it. But I don't have to have my fan, my hands folded to pray. I don't even have to close my eyes to pray. Amen? Those are customs. Prayer is simply this. Get this. Prayer is communication with God. Communication with God. And I can live throughout my day in a flowing conversation with God. In a flowing conversation with God. Now there is a time to shut yourself aside and shut off everything and you do some kind of custom which might be getting on your knees next to your bedside and closing it off. Maybe you just bring a jug of water in for half a day, a few days a year. I don't know. Whatever the customs are that you've got, get alone with God for 30 minutes a day. Shut everything out and just, just focus on him. And maybe you close your eyes. Maybe you rock. Maybe you pray in the spirit. Maybe you praise for whatever it is. There's a time for that. But I'm talking about also the prayer without ceasing. It's all day long. It's a conversation with God because I'm in communication with him. He's my best friend. He's my father. He's my everything. My everything. All day long. And you say, maybe that, and listen, church, maybe that sounds weird to you. Trust me, as you begin to just practice that and do that, it just becomes natural and you begin to think about God. And the next thing you know, when you're faced with something that you wouldn't have known in your own wisdom, the Spirit just speaks to you. I, church, I cannot emphasize this enough. The Spirit will begin to speak to you in ways that you didn't have before because you are in a flowing conversation with Him. You are flowing in the Spirit. You're flowing with God. Have you ever, it's like, my wife, you know, if she comes home and she gets into the kitchen, and I'm in the kitchen. And, I, and I, maybe I'm on my iPad, and I'm doing something, and I'm just, you know, going on and on. She comes in and starts talking, and I just ignore her. Totally ignore her. Don't hear anything. I, I mean, it's like there's not the communication there. But see, if I can set aside a little bit of that stuff, and I can just take the time to listen, I can hear her, and we can now have a conversation. And with the Spirit of God, it's throughout your day. And you can hear him if you've made the point to do that. Listen to this. Here's the implications of this verse. The use of the voice is not an essential element in prayer. Now, I like it, and I will pray with my voice. I'll pray under, just under my breath, Lord. I'll just thank you. i just praise you today. Thank you, Jesus. I'm walking through the house. Maybe I'm outside getting in my car. Maybe I walk in the store. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Who am I going to talk to? Man, I met a gentleman this week at the, uh, at the cleaners. We had a great conversation. It was great. He was carrying around a, a notepad. And I'm not going to get to all these notes, but listen, he was carrying around this notepad, right? And, uh, I saw him at the, at the cleaner and he was on the phone with his wife. He's an elderly gentleman. And, and I, and, uh, and I was behind him and I could tell the, the girl behind me was like, you know, maybe I could take you over at this register. And I was just like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. You know, I got time. I got time. And so he's sitting there, you know, doing his thing and his wife, and then he's trying to, she's trying to talk to him and he goes, oh yeah, yeah, this and this on this shirt. He starts to tell her about why he needs this shirt for his grandson. And I can tell she's just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I want you out because I got a customer behind you. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling her again, I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. It's fine. So he slides over and he's, still, he's got this stuff and he's got, and he's writing his note down that his wife just told him. And so I come up there to the counter, I'm doing my thing. And, I start, and so I start talking to him. I said, yeah, I used to carry around a notepad like that, you know, way back. So I would remember things. And he goes, yeah, I still like to write. I said, now, you know, and I pulled up my phone. Now it's like, it's all on here on this phone and I don't do the writing as much, you know, but I still got a notepad next to my computer to, you know, and I write sometimes. And he goes, yeah, I got the phone too, but man, I just, I like the, the notepad. And we're just having this conversation. And then he starts talking about his wife. And we start talking about that. And we walk outside, I got mine and he stays with, me. and we're just talking, Communicating. And the thing is, is that you can miss so many opportunities if you're closed off. Just like the example I gave earlier about my wife comes in and I'm closed off. And I don't don't hear a thing she's saying. But if you come, and see the thing is, is Jesus changed the world around him. He's listening to the things that are going on. And he's listening to the people because his priority was people. And you won't have that priority if you don't have a life of prayer, a prayer that is rejoicing always, a prayer that never ends, a continual conversation with God. And then the next verse is really good. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. It doesn't matter what's going on. God, I thank you. Are you here this morning? It changes things, church. Look, I know it's simple. Maybe you've heard it before. You've seen these verses. Oh, I know this. I know that. It will change your life. God wouldn't have given this to me if we didn't need it. I needed it. Amen? We don't give thanks for everything, but in everything. I want to make that distinction. I get in a car wreck, I don't thank God I got in a car wreck. Are you here? I don't say, oh God, that was your will. No, 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 no. Maybe it was his will for me to be nice and talk to the other person in the car. But it was not his will for me to get in a car accident. I, I, don't, I need some more amens on that one. My God, God is not steering me into trouble god steers me into bless. would i and here's how i know you said well tj well how do you know i would never steer steer my children into a car wreck i taught them all how to drive and as they started to make a mistake and we were about to hit somebody hit the brake stop up it happened just a couple of times they did really good Yeah, it's okay, it's okay. Let's just pull over right here. Okay, we'll just take a breath. We'll take a minute. We'll take a beat. See, God would never steer me into a car accident. He wouldn't do that. So I'm not going to thank him for that. How do you know what God would and wouldn't do? What would you do with your child? Amen? Think about it. So I don't give thanks for everything. I give thanks in everything. I got in a car accident. Boom. Somebody hit me behind. The adrenaline's going. What happened? Thank you, Lord, I'm alive. I just gave thanks in my circumstance, not for it. Amen? After each... One of these exhortations rejoice always pray without ceasing and everything gives thanks we're told to do this because it is the will of god the thought isn't this is god's will so you must do it the thought is rather this is god's will so you can do it did you catch it it isn't easy to rejoice always to pray without ceasing and everything give thanks but we can do it because it is god's will Man, I have no time to get to any of that. Here's what I'm going to say. We've got to develop a habit of prayer in our everyday living. The early church, they prayed in Acts 4.31's last verse I'm going to give you this morning. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. And this is what I told you earlier. And I said it was in my notes. In chapter 3, Peter and John came. A miracle took place in the temple. And then they began to preach and began to explain and tell why. And then in chapter 4, or at the end of chapter 3 and begin chapter 4, they, 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 they took him and arrested him. But as they began to look at the evidence and all the, pr- all the people were praising God and gave the credit to God, it said that they could do nothing. Scripture said they could do nothing because the people were giving the credit to God. They couldn't do anything. They had no reason to hold them to charge them, so they had to let them go. In that instance, they didn't beat them or do anything like that. They just let them go. But they exhorted them, the priest and the high priest, they exhorted them not to preach the name of Jesus any longer. What did they do? They get together and they prayed the word and they prayed, God, let us preach your word. They said, I'm still gonna do it. God's word trumps every word of man. God's word trumps anything that's out here, cultural philosophies, you name it. God's word is above every single bit of it. So what do we do? We pray the word of God, just as they did. They prayed the word. And then they came together as a church together. Oh, that's what I love. They came together and the place was shaken and they were filled with the spirit. Why? Because, and you'll see this in other places in scripture, not here, but they were in one accord. That's what happened right here. They were in one accord. They were in agreement. They were together. That's what that means in one accord. Developing a habit of prayer. It's not always the easiest thing. Let's all stand. Years ago, a plastic surgeon who observed the average healing times of his patients came up with the 21-day hypothesis. He coined a term and wrote a book, psycho that posited the theory that 21 days was what it took to build a new habit, break an old habit, or create a new lifestyle. Millions of people believed that, but it's just not true. It's not true. Some habits will take months to become part of your life. It takes effort, discipline, conviction, and perseverance. It takes a daily walk, with God. Author Malcolm Gladwell revealed in his research that the greatest experts are those that have practiced something a minimum of 10,000 hours. Those are those of the greatest experts. That's commitment, not just preference. Conviction trumps comfort, church. Conviction trumps comfort. Think about that. To master something, those that are the best in their fields, that are the experts, 10,000 hours of time put into it. 10,000 hours of prayer. Think about it. We could do that. We could put that into practice. We could do that. We could make that. You know, they have these things online with these online gamers with these different games and stuff. And they have these people and and, uh, one of my neighbor's kids in the neighborhood he plays, a, I think it's a, one of Rainbow Six, one of those things on PC. One of these action games, right? First person shooter things. And they said he's in the world. There's, there's millions of people who play this game. And in the world, he is like in the top two or three hundred. And they have different teams of people who do tournaments that are constantly trying to get him to join their team. And they want him to join the team, So, and, and he's not 18 yet, so when he turns 18, when he, when he joins the team, uh, the teams that he can actually make money with it and all of that, and he's actually really good. And he said most of his day, every day, is this game. And he's one of the experts. Most of his day. A lot of other things have suffered in his life. I won't tell you all those things. But most of his day, every day, is put into that game, and he's one of the best, and he's probably going to be making thousands of dollars playing this game. He'll be an expert. Church, I don't want to be an expert in my flesh. I don't want to be an expert in fleshing out. I want to be an expert in the things of God. I want... This, You know, these gamers, they're so good at what they do that are the experts and they're at the top and they have several different games out there and people can make money on it. They're so good. And they put in so many hours. I want to put in the hours of prayer so that God looks at me and says, that's my child. He's in the top whatever. (laughs) You know, because the parents who were telling me this story about their kid... They were proud of that accomplishment, and they should be. That's a good accomplishment, you know, that kind of thing. It's fine. But I want God to look at us, to look at us, and say, "Man, that's my child, and they're in the top. Man, they're tops, and that's how God sees you." I want I want to put that time into prayer. How many can say I want to do? I have a life of prayer. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you that as we leave here, those of us that have our hands raised and those that even don't, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we have a life of prayer, that we would pray without ceasing. Lord, that we would give thanks always in all things, that we would be vigilant, we'd be able to watch, that we wouldn't be slack concerning your promises. Lord, that we wouldn't just take that time off or we'd say, oh, well, I'll get to it at some point. Lord, may our lives literally revolve around you. In Jesus' name, amen.